Guys, welcome to the I Love Seville show. My name is Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for joining us. It's good to be with you on a Thursday in downtown Charlottesville in our building, the Macklin Building. The show today presented by Scott Wagner, Dr. Wagner of Scott Wagner Integrative Medicine, undoubtedly changing people's lives. Who's got your back? Dr. Wagner. Scott Wagner has your back. Um, today's show has got some quality local content for you. We'll talk Lonnie Murray, who is a valuable viewer and listener of this fine and fair talk show. There's a handful of listeners, um, viewers and listeners. In fact, there's a lot of them. I, <coughs> I am truly impressed on this show every day when we talk local content, how intelligent the viewer and listener uh, audience is of this show. And I sincerely mean that. For example, yesterday, I learned literally in real time from John Blair about um, governors and appointing folks to the Board of Visitors, Virginia governors. I learned who made the, the most appointments to the Board of Visitors of UVA, and I learned that the governors in Virginia undoubtedly are having a tremendous influence over the top university here in the Commonwealth. I also learned about comings and goings in um, our various jurisdictions. Listen to this comment here from a super smart guy, Lonnie Murray. He's talking about the, um, the significance of having people not only live in a jurisdiction, but spend their money in a jurisdiction. Real estate taxes only go so far, he says. And this is in um, reply to the Weldon Cooper Center study. Um, where the defense sector has this $1.2 billion economic impact locally. Uh, and some folks, Albert Graves is a, is, is a good example, are wondering if that $1.2 billion economic impact, 2021 number, is truly a genuine reflection of the impact. So that was what Lonnie Murray was responding to, this conversation. Here's his first comment. Lonnie, these are good, dude. Almaro County projected expenses for the, for the next fiscal year are $551,461,538. Isn't that crazy, guys? Almaro County's budget to run the county of Almaro is $551 million. Isn't that an astronomical number? UVA's, or uh, City of Charlottesville's, is not even half that. I think Charlottesville's is what, 220 uh, uh, million, 230 million a year in that range? Anyway, so Almar County's projected expenses, this is from Lottie Murray, are $551,461,538. But real estate property taxes, excluding commercial properties, only pay for $106,053,715, or about one-fifth of the total budget. To make up the difference, Lonnie Murray writes, you have to have sales taxes and other revenue that are dependent on people spending money in Albemarle and not some other locality. This is where Fluvanna County has issues because many of the people who live in Fluvanna shop in Albemarle or Charlottesville, leaving them with an infrastructure deficit. <coughs> he also says this, Lonnie does, and then I'm going to offer you some commentary. This is also one of the biggest arguments for smart growth because compact development uses one-third of the infrastructure than sprawl does. All right, let's unpack what a smart guy is saying. I believe Lonnie lives in Crozet. He's also very much a uh, pro-environment guy, um, smart guy, knows a lot, very well-read guy. Um, Fluvanna County, to fund its jurisdiction, over 90% of the revenue comes from rooftops. And those are residential because there's not much commercial in Fluvanna. So over 90% of the revenue for the jurisdiction is coming from real estate taxes. Lonnie is right about that. That's one of Fluvanna's challenges because as the county is looking to expand its budget, its source of income is taxing people's homes, which eventually gentrifies people out of communities. So he's exactly right about that. I also learned from Keith Smith on Wednesday that the food lion outside Lake Monticello, that food lion, the average ticket price for that food lion, that grocery store outside the lake, is $12 per customer. 
So that statistic further justifies Lonnie's comments that folks are buying their groceries, their perishables, their food, not in Fluvanna, but elsewhere, because they're working in Charlottesville and Albaro. They're leaving work before work, after work. They're going to grocery stores and they're spending their money in Albaro and Charlottesville, then heading home to Fluvanna. So $12, the average ticket price for a food lion who has dominant market share outside a neighborhood that has 4,500 plus homes inside of it. Think about that. I'll give you that stat again. The food lion outside Lake Monticello, a neighborhood that has 4,500 plus homes, middle to upper class homes, the grocery store outside this neighborhood that has dominant market share position, very little competition, the average ticket price is 12 bucks at that grocery store food line. Further justifies what Lonnie's saying. All right, I wanna unpack um, his last comment. This is also one of the biggest arguments for smart growth because compact development uses one-third of the infrastructure than sprawl does. So what does this man mean by that comment? Here's what I think he means. If you can be strategic about development and consolidate or aggregate the development into specific areas, then you can be strategic about the infrastructure that supports those areas. If you can cluster development, you have less wear and tear on the environment from traffic because people aren't driving as far. It's not sprawl, it's tightly put together. You have roads that can be built more efficiently. You have better quality of life from a traffic congestion standpoint. You have better health and safety protection because people aren't driving as far or as long. Some counties do the cluster development a lot better than others. Some of the fears that people have of Fluvanna County is the development, if there's any at all, will be sprawl. And some of the fears people have of Almoral County is a similar concern, the sprawl. So I'll open up the thoughts and comments to Judah here, and I'll open up the thoughts and comments to you, the viewer and listener. But first, in conclusion, I'd like to summarize. I think the $1.2 billion economic impact from that Weldon Cooper Center study is significantly more than I thought it was. I think the study really put a spotlight on the influence of this industry. I also wonder if some of these defense sector employees with this top secret clearance, the ones who are either commuting here or live here but are working elsewhere, like they have a home here but they're not really working here, I'm curious of that true economic impact like Warrior's Curiosity, Albert Graves. I'm not trying to marginalize it. I would just, I also have an eyebrow raised. I'll leave it like that because I'm not trying to throw shade to anybody here. Some of these folks are not working here and others are commuting here. That's the point these guys are making. Neil Williamson shares a link from the Free Enterprise Forum. The 2020 revenue report finds Charlottesville has the greatest business tax support. It makes perfect sense. Charlottesville, the epicenter of employment. Bill McChesney, welcome to the program. The mayor of McIntyre, thank you for joining. Um, Nicholas Erpe, hello and welcome to the show. We'll get to uh, comments here in a matter of moments. I'd like to go to a two-shot and welcome Judah Wickhauer to the show. 550 million, 551 million for Almore County's budget, astronomical number. What jumped, first, what tickled your fancy? What jumped out at you about, of, of what Lonnie said? And anywhere you want to go, I'll adapt to you. Uh, I think what jumped out to me was uh, the similarity with what, uh, with what we were talking about, Don, or what you guys were talking about, Don, on Real Talk the other day. 
and uh, and the, just the idea that uh, I think we don't always understand the economic impact of of the the decisions that our uh, that our government makes, and the fact that uh, you know people people having to live further and further out from Charlottesville is going to have an impact on some of these surrounding areas because while they may be living there, uh, he makes a great point that uh, that a lot of these people will stop at uh, they'll stop and shop in Charlottesville on their way home, thereby, you know bringing money to us, which is not necessarily a bad thing for us, but they're... You're talking about folks that live in Albemarle and Charlottesville, us? Yeah. Yeah, money for the jurisdictions. Yeah. People Alleviating who, the pressure for us who live in Albemarle and Charlottesville because only one-fifth of Albemarle, as Lonnie indicated, is funded by taxes on our rooftops that we live within. Yeah. So having these, as you, the point you made, it's a great point, having these citizens... Having these these folks, it's a three hundred thousand person Central Virginia region. Yeah, and if a large chunk of the Central Virginia region is spending its disposable income in Charlottesville and Almaro, that's good for Charlottesville and Almaro for driving revenue and alleviating pressure on rooftops. And that's taxes. Based- Fluvanna's over ninety percent. Yeah, on rooftops alone, taxes to keep the jurisdiction going. Yeah, and and they have to do it because they don't have the business there, the commercial there. Yeah. for other sources of income. This is from Deep Throat on Twitter. Deep Throat says, Lonnie is very right. I have argued this exact thing with Mayor Lloyd Snook. A residential real estate is narrowly speaking a fiscal loser. A $450,000 house pays $4,200 in taxes. And then they have two kids, each of which costs twelve. dollars to $15,000 luxury. And he's talking the jurisdiction there. I would imagine he's talking about the cost of educating kids. Almoral County is actually higher. I believe Almoral County, the cost to educate a kid a year is 18 K. So if you have a $450,000 house in Almoral County, which there's a lot of them, you're paying taxes at a $4,200 clip, 4,200. And then you have two kids that you send to school and those two kids cost Almoral County well, not specifically Almaro County, because Almaro ACPS gets some funding <coughs> from the federal and some funding from the state, but a large portion comes from the jurisdiction. What's the number? Neil, you would know this. Neil, you're watching. Is 60%... I know the school budget is the largest line item in the $551 million Almaro County budget in totality. I know schools are number one. Is that 60% of the budget? Is it schools? Is that the number I remember? Is 60% of the 551 million schools? My memory seems it was in the uh, high 200 million range that Almar was asking for money. Anyway, back to Deep Throat. He says this, and listen to this. Deep Throat, you're fantastic, dude. Luxury homes are fiscal winners, however. Retiree housing is a fiscal winner. Offices are fiscal winners. Retail is fiscal winner. Hotel is a huge fiscal winner. Commodity housing is a fiscal loser. Candidate Natalie Osherin talked about how everyone working in Seville should be able to live here, but from fiscal perspective, it's much better that they live in Almoro and work and eat lunch in the city. <coughs> that was beautiful, dude. Those were great comments from you, dude. <clears throat> I would love to get you on the show. I would love to get you on the show. I know that risks your anonymity. I would love to get you on the show. <clears throat> Let's go to Albert Graves and Crozet. He says, I would love to know how the contribution that tourists bring to the revenue in each jurisdiction, considering this is a highly visited city and county with plenty of tourist attractions. Neil has that number. Neil, I think, has the number of the tourist impact on Albaro and Charlottesville. I said 60% of the Albaro budget in fiscal year 2024 was allocated to schools. The exact number is 57%, so I was pretty damn close. So if you got $551 million, I'm taking, I'm using my calculator, $551 million times 0. .57, 57%, ACPS, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, viewers and listeners of this fine and fair talk show, 
ACPS, Almoral County Public Schools, in fiscal year 2024 is asking for $314 million of your taxpayer income. Mm -hmm. I'll say that again. $314 million for ACPS, the largest line item on the budget. You don't think we should hold superintendents and school board members and assistant superintendents accountable when they're effing managing $314 million? Am I wrong to say that? No, I think it's important that we always know where our money is being spent and what for and holding the people that are in charge of it accountable. Amen, brother. Warrior AG says, and yet ACPS picks my kids up one hour late every damn day. $314 million for schools. Yeah. That's not pocket change, is it? Not for me. Todd Rath watching the program. He's the owner of Blue Toad Hard Cider. Todd Rath says, Nelson County, the tourism impact in 2022 and Nelson County alone is $86 million. Todd Rath, also a real estate investor. I believe it, is it Lake Anna, Todd, that you own real estate in? And also upstate New York, if my memory serves correct, of engaging with you on social media. Um, 86 million for Nelson County tourism impact in 2022. Ooh, friend of the program, Neil Williamson. Love you, Neil. Neil, you're a good guy. Support Neil Williamson. Dude, Neil Williamson is a fantastic resource for this community. I sincerely mean this, Neil. You are so like, you're a cool dude. You're an unassuming cool dude. I think if you had a little more of the, um, and I'm glad you do not have this, because I like you perfectly just the way you are. Isn't that a song? I like you just the way you are. Neil Williamson. But if you had a little more of the like, hey, look at what I'm doing, look at what I'm doing, look at what I'm doing, like the marketing and like the megaphone, basically like kind of like, you know, like the hoopla and the, you know, the attention that a lot of, you know, what I'm doing here. If he did a lot of that, I'm glad he does not. I'm glad he does not. If he did a lot of that, the community would be like, oh my, would truly realize what kind of incredible impact he's having here. No doubt. I mean, he has shared the tourism dollars with us. Um, Let me see if I can unpack this. Um, All right, let me see if I can read this to get the exact dollars. I would, I'm doing this on the fly, Neil. I would love the number. What is the number just for one year? I'll see if I can track it down. I would love it for Charlottesville, Almoral County. We got 86 million for Nelson. Lonnie Murray says, Chad Wood, that's hilarious. <laughs> Chad Wood, no sir. Hilarious, Chad Wood. Chad Wood and Greenwood, I believe. Chad, is memory correct? You were, pro- you were a part of the Steve Isaacs triple wing Western Almoral football offense. One of the best misdirection offenses that I've ever seen in Central Virginia football history. Steve Isaacs ran a single wing attack. Brian Leskinick was in that backfield. I believe Chad Wood was in that backfield as well. I think this was like circa 2002 when I was a student at UVA working a part-time job in the sports department, the Daily Progress. I would get sent to Crozet for Friday night football where there was this short, stocky man that always wore a ball cap. His name was Steve Isaacs. He was a plump fella but a guy that was so engaging and so like you wanted to do things for Steve. He had that gift of inspiring people. And every time I was in Steve Isaacs, the head football coach at Western back in the day, I'm talking like 20 years ago, every time I was in his orbit, (coughs) I wanted to, to please him. And he ran, he knew his offensive line at Western. I mean, let's cut to the chase. Western fielding a football team Western Almore can, what's it? 50, 50 white dudes over at Western in the offensive line? I mean, we're not talking about like the biggest guys out there. So he knew his offensive line was not that big. So he used misdirection and a single wing attack to trick defenses. 
because he didn't just want to stand in the trench and have a defensive line go after his undersized offensive line. He also had a special athlete in Brian Leskinick, who ended up walking on the University of Virginia football team. All right, back to, back to the topic of uh, real estate. This is from Lonnie Murray. Alboro County also spends $13,941,859 on land use valuation every year and $14.5 million on revenue sharing. Good God, the revenue sharing agreement. You were not the fat number 12 that happened to run the ball sometimes. Coach was a character, but a hell of a guy. Chad Wood, you were an impactful player on that team that won a Jefferson District Championship. You were an impactful player on that team, Chad Wood. And Steve Isaacs was good people. Um, I could do an entire show on the revenue sharing agreement. Lonnie, who do, you, who do you think would be a good suggestion for someone to get on the program to break down the revenue sharing agreement from every side? I trust your judgment, Lonnie. <clears throat> they were the radio days, Albert Graves. Albert Graves says, I love Neil's hashtag content slinger, and he loves visiting the website. And Todd Rath has his investment properties at Smith Mountain Lake, not Lake, Lake Anna. I apologize, Todd. Historically, the second half of any given calendar year produces roughly $14 million in Almoral Charlottesville tourist tax revenue. That's from the Free Enterprise Forum. So the second half of any given calendar year produces roughly $14 million in Albemarle Charlottesville tourist tax revenue. Neil Williamson, Free Enterprise Forum. Neil, I love you. Lonnie Murray says, Sally Thomas, if she would do it, she was there. She should talk about the uh, revenue, revenue sharing agreement. That's a great idea. Sally Thomas. And I actually have her contact information. I will see if she will do it. Um, all right, so here's the nitty-gritty. Here's the nitty-gritty. The nitty-gritty is this. The residential real estate taxes are one-fifth of Almar County's total budget. Lonnie put that into my uh, orbit. Mm -hmm. He put that into my orbit to indicate that it's only one-fifth of the budget. So oftentimes, and I fall victim to this, I say real estate taxes, residential real estate taxes. We need them to run a budget. They're helping support the budget. Where's the, the money going to come from for this budget? It's going to come from rooftops. They're going to raise the taxes on our homes. They're going to raise the tax rate. The reality is real estate and jurisdictions like Albemarle, the real estate taxes are 20% of the budget. Okay? It's not as big a contribution as you would think it would be, as, as, as I, would, I thought it would be. What you really want is you want, as we've learned from Deep Throat here, is you want commercial, <coughs> you want luxury, luxury, not commodity. Why luxury homes and not entry price point homes? Mm, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. If you have um, a piece of dirt that's 0.25 acres in your jurisdiction, why would you want that home on that 0.25 acre piece of dirt in your jurisdiction to be a luxury home, maybe valued at 1.5 million, versus a starter home, maybe valued at 300,000, if you're the jurisdiction? Because you're pulling in more tax money from the same, uh, the yes, same postage exactly. stamp. There it is. Succinctly said, they mail one envelope from this 0.25 acre piece of dirt. And would you like, if you're receiving the receivables at City Hall, to that to for the to be taxes on 1.5 million or 300,000? Right. It's the same amount of uh, same amount of soil, but one of them is worth a lot more to the to the, um, the city or county. Why are the retiree? Why is housing for retirees better? Retirees. For a jurisdiction. New development that's targeted for a 55-plus community. Why would a jurisdiction want that? A 55-plus? Why would new development, focused and tailored for baby boomers and older, be valuable for a jurisdiction? I'm not sure. Because they, they don't have, have kids. Because they don't have kids. Their kids aren't going to the jurisdiction school. Okay. Gotcha. If they're retirees, their kids are out of the nest. Yeah. So your schools aren't getting taxed. 
and all those trips to and from school, your roads aren't getting worn down as much. Mm -hmm. Schools, we just explained, are 57% of Albemarle's budget. Largest line item. Yeah. And that 500 plus million, 550 plus million. I'll get to the comments coming on Twitter. Why is a hotel a huge fiscal winner for a jurisdiction? For the same reason that uh, people coming in from, uh, from Albemarle to Charlottesville or from Green to Charlottesville or from anywhere and spending their uh, shopping money at our, at our stores. Maybe even better than that. Likely even better oh, yeah. than that. Undoubtedly even better than that. Why even better than that? Because eventually they leave. Because they get the hell out of our town. They leave us alone. Yeah. They leave. They get here on Thursday and they leave on Sunday. And we don't have to see their Yankee asses anymore. Right? That's one way to put That's it. That's pretty much what it comes down to. That's what he's talking about. All right. Let's get to some comments. Fast and furious. And then we'll go to the next um, topic. Um, oh, Neil says, with all due respect... I disagree with Lottie Murray's assertion regarding property tax percentage, and he shared a graphic, a link, um, on the I Love Seville group. The show's airing on 15 Facebook pages. And on one of the Facebook pages it's airing on, Neil shared a link. I'm going to take that link, and I'm going to tweet it under the show right now. <clears throat> and then I'll also put Neil's link in the comment section of my personal Facebook page so you guys can read it. Neil, I love your content, dude. King of content. I love it. I also want to give some props to Sean Tubbs. Support him. Sean, I don't know if you're watching today's show. Occasionally you watch. Um, and Sean, I would very much encourage you to continue your um, pursuit of uh, video content on Facebook. I've been really impressed with you trying to pursue that for your business, sir. I would love to see your podcast and the content you're creating with an audio and visual um, complement because I think it's very digestible and people would watch it and you have valuable information, Mr. Tubbs. Um, those two guys are awesome, Sean and Neil. Lonnie says this to Neil Williamson. Keep in mind, Neil Williamson, Property tax is broader than real estate tax. They're communicating on different pages through the show. It's awesome. This is what we're trying to do. Just be the water cooler. We just want to take, help the ideas percolate. Yeah. I don't care who talks about them. Just percolate them. Yeah. Stir them. All right. Uh, I think John Blair is watching on LinkedIn. JB, are you watching over there? I want to get John's comments because John, John always gets me thinking, oh, John is watching. Love when you watch the show, John Blair. I sincerely mean that, JB. <laughs> I think he knows that. Ooh, he left a comment. Uh, oh, let's not underestimate the intelligence and insight of the I Love Siebel Show's co-host. That's you. Thank you. He's giving you some props. And he says we run a first-class show. I'm going to say thank you. I appreciate you. that. Thank you, JB. That was nice, right? Yeah, that was very nice. Okay, very nicely done. All right, let's go to the next topic. This is a, I, I, every show I ask Judith to contribute some ideas to the program. How often do we contribute some of the topping points? I'd say every now and again. Fair? Yeah, once or twice a week. Yeah, every now and again. Some of the ideas that he's, he's contributing make it into the rundown. Why don't we get the first lower third up? And this is a tricky, this is a tricky topic to navigate. Your suggestion is a tricky topic to navigate, but I think we can aptly navigate this topic because of long-form content, which would allow what we say to not be taken out of context. Long-form contact and not contact and not sound bites. So here's the nitty-gritty. Locally, I think this has been flying under the radar. I'm sure it has for some Regionally people. and nationally, maybe not so much. Friend of the program, Commonwealth Attorney of Almoral County, James Hingley. We call him Jim. He's a great guy. He's come on the show many times. He um, said in a, in a news release that the indictments relate 
to an event on August 11, 2017, when a group of white nationalists carrying torches marched through the grounds of UVA, some chanting derogatory comments <coughs> against Jews. So now, nearly six years after this gathering of, I'm going to call them white nationalists, after this gathering of white nationalists in Charlottesville on UVA grounds on August 11, 2017, this was the precursor to A12, the felony charges are rolling out. And multiple dudes that were on grounds with the torches and in the garb are getting popped. They're getting outed. They're getting doxxed. They're getting popped. Six years later, and we're going to talk about it on today's show. The program is yours. I will adapt to you anywhere you want to go. I would imagine this is the question you want to ask. Is this justice? Yeah. That's what you want to talk about here. Am I correct in reading you? Yeah, I think that's fair. Is this justice? Yeah. Okay. Talk show is yours. I, to me, the whole thing feels a little bit more like, uh, like retaliation than it does like it's about justice. I get that, uh, I get that uh, previously they had not been charged. Sorry. But uh, I, this just feels... Uh, I, th- I think this says it better than I can. Uh, uh, even though the official charges are about the, the torches, the men were clearly targeted <clears throat> for ideological reasons. Unjust prosecution should be condemned by all, as should the transformation of the judicial system into the disciplinary wing of a political party. Unpack it. Unpacking it is, I mean, it's, it's all there. Um, are we targeting them because we disagree with their ideology? All right. This is a good, talk, this is a good point. This is a good conversation for a talk show. Mr. Hingley, who's a friend of the program. Yeah. My think- friend. I think Jim's a great guy. I know, I know you think he's, I, I know you have tremendous respect for him as well. Okay. He's come on the show multiple times. He's maybe watching or listening to the show right now on Twitter. He often does listen to the show. He campaigned on this. This was not something that just came up six years after the fact, right? He right. campaigned on this. Yeah. He campaigned that he was going to do, utilize the office, the authority, for accountability and to bring the power of the office here against folks that put Charlottesville in a nasty, nasty light. Secondly, secondly, you want to jump in? Jump in. Uh, I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying, but charging, what, however many people with, uh, I mean, how, how many is it? Is it six people? How, and, and we've all seen the pictures of the... <coughs> Depending on where you're reading, it's dozens, if not. I mean, I don't know how many people were uh, were in that march. Uh, but dozens there, is fair. I would say dozens yeah, is fair. I think it's fair to say there were dozens. Okay, so so and so we're charging. According to electronic court records, the indictments against three people have been unsealed, including William Zachary Smith of Texas, Tyler Bradley Dykes of Blufftown, South Carolina, and Dallas Medina of Ohio. So three people came to grounds here on August 11, 2017 in those stupid white collar shirts and stupid khaki pants that were too tight on them, carrying around crappy torches on grounds. Three of these dudes that are getting outed here are from Texas, South Carolina, and Ohio. Morons driving halfway across the country. One dude driving from Texas for this. This is the definition of morons. Yeah, no doubt. This is the definition of morons. The dude who, who rest in power, Heather Heyer, drove his Dodge Charger from Ohio to spend the rest of his life in jail. That guy's an effing idiot. Yeah. I have no empathy or sympathy for that guy. He's probably the biggest idiot of the bunch. Okay, I have no sympathy or empathy for that guy. Nor do I. Going to grounds at UVA at night in groups, dozens is fair, that's not hyperbolized, at night carrying torches wearing the clothing that's symbolic of white nationalists is a crime. It's a crime. 
Would you say that's free speech? There is legitimately a law on the books why are about... They, then why are they all not being charged? Maybe he can't identify them all. Maybe the office can't identify them all. They're okay. coming from Texas, right? Some of them, yeah. Should some be charged? Even if the others cannot be charged because they cannot be properly identified? Is that justice? In my eyes, it is. That's, that's a fair question. Is your question this? But because we you really can't saying... charge them all, you can't charge any of them? No, no. You make a, you make a fair point. But are you, really, are you really saying that they could only find three of them? We don't know. We, I, I, from the outlets I've read here, the electronic... I just, I just read... This is from NPR. According to electronic court records, the indictments against three people have been unsealed. I would imagine the lives of these people are pretty... This is going to get back to their employers and their families. No doubt. Especially and I have no... I have no... I have no sympathy for them. Oh, I have no sympathy for any of these people either. I, I think it's still a... Uh, They're charged with a single count of burning an object with the intent of intimidating a person or a group of people. The charge carries a maximum penalty of up to five years in prison. Some of the people in this group, dozens of people nighttime wearing clothing synonymous with white nationalists, were chanting derogatory commentary toward Jews. Okay, First of all, I don't know what their clothing has to do anything. You said that I thought I thought they were wearing Izod shirts, right? The white shirts and the khakis. That's symbolic with white nationalist garb. But but that's irrelevant. I disagree. It's you're saying that the the clothing that you wear should be a consideration in whether or not to uh, press charges against someone. You're, you're, that's, that scares me. You're saying it should to, scare everyone that's watching this show. You're saying to me that you don't have a problem with dozens of people wearing white tight shirts and khaki pants, symbolic of white nationalists, strategically planning on wearing these clothing. It was not coincidental. Furthermore carrying torches while wearing these clothing. You don't think what you're carrying and what you're wearing should have an impact in today's world? When you're wearing, you're talking about khaki pants. Do you realize how insane this is? But Judah, it's khaki pants and white shirts in context with carrying torches, enchanting derogatory comments toward Jews. Look, I'm, my, I'm not my family, arguing with you here. I'm just, I, I know. My family is Jewish. I've got no love. I know, There's no I love know. lost for, for these guys. I know. But that doesn't mean that uh, because we dislike them doesn't give us the right to... Uh, we may have to agree to, disagree on, agree to disagree on this one, which very well we could. Yeah. I have a problem if dozens of people strategically flock to Charlottesville on a set and meet at a set day and time at night at a public university wearing the same clothes screaming the same racist vernac commentaries while holding tiki torches and giving the energy and appearance of aggressiveness. This was the night that Cena McGill's husband, Tyler McGill, was clubbed over the head by a torch. Yeah. These people I, literally I, clubbed him, the librarian. And, and he's still dealing with health ramifications from this. Yeah. So clearly this was not a civilized group. If they're clubbing bystanders... And, and, I would, and ideally, the person that did that <laughs> would be charged. He is the person that I believe should be charged in all of this for what he did to Cena McGill's husband. But sing, singling out some of them and finding a uh, finding All right, here's a next, go a ahead. Way to I apologize. Finding a way to prosecute them for something 
like I said, feels retaliatory rather than, uh, rather than pursuing justice. Okay. I, I respectfully disagree. Respectfully disagree. And I think this is a fantastic conversation for a talk show. No doubt. A follow-up question I have for you is this. If the Commonwealth's attorney can only identify a few of the people and not all the people, the dozens and dozens of white nationalists that were carrying torches, storming through grounds with angry negative energy, he could, the office can only identify a few. Because only a few could be identified, is it just to charge them and not the others? That's a, great, that's a great point, and I think if the charges are just, then you're correct. Charging as many of them as you can find. Even if it's not the is, in totality? It, yes, definitely, okay. 100, 100%. We're in you're, agreement there. You, I'm, I'm, I totally agree with you. Okay. You have no beef in the case, with him charging the ones that he can identify? Yes, if the charges are just, I have no problem. But your problem is you think this is trumped-up charges? Are, it, are you saying that? It very much feels that way to me. Okay, so your exact words are, these are trumped-up charges. No, those are not my okay, exact what words. Okay, how would you describe I said it charges? very much feels that way to me. I'm, I'm not a, I don't know the law. I certainly don't know it the, the way Jim Hingley knows it. I also don't know the ins and outs of this case. I don't know if there's more that I'm missing. But that being said, this feels like somebody saying, hey, we found a way to get get back at these guys. Okay, follow up then. Should the Commonwealth's attorney use every pressure possible to get the ones that he's identified to turn on the others? I, again, I'm, I'm going to say... The answer is hell yes. The answer is absolutely. Yeah, if there's... A, 110%. But that's, but that's, again, making the assumption that, that, uh, that this is all just. All right, so there's, there's, the, there's, the, there's the rub. Therein lies the rub. Yeah. Are these charges just? Yeah, I think in should a place like Charlottesville... People, should white nationalists, should they... I say absolutely 100% for the record. And I think in a place like Charlottesville, the answer in, in most cases will, will align with what, with what you believe, with what oh. you see. Oh, what do you mean, oh? So it's you not think, surprising. You think that 100,000% yes, these guys, these white nationalists should be indicted? What? If, no, hold on. You're saying if this happened in a more conservative town, then the Commonwealth's attorney in those conservative towns would not have charged the Izod white shirt-wearing, khaki-wearing, no, torch-bearing no, no. white I, nationalists? That's not what I said. I, I said I think most people in Charlottesville would agree with your assessment. Oh, 100%. You're in an <coughs> extremely small minority here. And, and I have respect for you for having the courage to be in the minority, but I cannot imagine many people here in this community, and I'm not saying you're necessarily... I don't want to say you're sympathizing with these people here. I certainly don't sympathize them, but I think that, uh, I think that Charlottesville is a very left-leaning city. and Obviously. And for that reason, it makes it very easy to overlook the question of whether these charges are just and just say, yes, they should be charged because we don't agree with their ideology. Follow-up question for you. Jim Hinchley's running unopposed. Had, if... Or had Jim Hinchley have had opposition from the Republican Party, would he have pursued this path? Follow-up question to that question. Had Jim Hinchley have had opposition from the Republican Party for the Commonwealth Attorney spot, would the Republican Party candidate have used these charges in his campaign against Jim? <coughs> I got answers. I, mean, I want to hear yours. We're first. getting into a lot of what-ifs. That's, that's, that that's what if, a talk show is. I think that if the... Uh, I think that if we had an even, yeah, if it was, uh, if it was, if Charlottesville was 50% right leaners and 50% left leaners, then I think uh, Jim Hinsley would have had a very, very hard time uh, winning on, on this platform. I disagree with that. You think that? <coughs> I disagree with that. Okay. <coughs> explain why, and I'll explain why for me. 
because I think he would have gotten a lot more pushback on this than he than he did from a city of of people who you, you know. think he was going to get pushback from people in Charlottesville now, Moral? Pushback about people that came from Texas to Charlottesville. You're, that you you keep, don't even live here. You keep bringing up things that have <laughs> that have no that have no bearing on. Charging someone with something. You don't think the, the fact, fact that, that this guy drove from Texas has any bearing on this? No, I don't. You're... You don't think that's a sign of like premeditated? They got in a car. They live in Texas. Premeditated what? Premeditated torches. Premeditated everything that happened. A eleven and A twelve was planned out. These dudes didn't just randomly show up at UVA on the night of August 11, 2017, randomly show up at UVA in white Izod collared shirts. They did not randomly show up at UVA in khaki pants. They did not randomly show up at UVA strategically right. barking the same Jewish racist language, and they didn't randomly show up at UVA carrying torches at night. They no drove from as far as alleging Texas. that it was random that they all ended up here. What's that? I'm, no one ever said that it was random that they all ended up here. I but still don't see how the fact that they came from Texas or wherever. The plan it, asked. Is the, it because they they came from Texas? Would it have been, been better if they came from Massachusetts? No. The planned nature of this makes it worse, though. You see that, right? Makes it worse. I mean, I, I, I get your problem, but you don't I agree that the planned and coordinated nature of this makes this worse? Explain to me what's worse about it. J-Dubs. If I hatch a plan to kill someone, We're not and I plan... This killing for months. Yeah. And I'm get caught it. by the law You're after hatching a plan for killing someone. Will that killer be treated differently by the law versus the man that lost his temper at the bar, punched someone in the face, and the person fell to the ground, hit his head on the curb, and died? Which crime is worse? I think we can all agree that the premeditated murder is worse. Okay. So the man who spent months trying to kill someone versus the man that punched someone at the bar and then watches the guy he punched fell to the ground and died, we're in agreement that the man who did the planning is a worse criminal and should be held at a greater level of accountability, right? In a perfect world, yes. Okay. Is that not the same mindset with planning a white nationalist rally? Planning it? Versus it randomly coming together, the folks planning it are premeditating this rally, so they should be held at a greater clip than someone that's just doing this at random occurrence? Are you saying that a rally is a is an indictable offense? When the rally is the precursor to murder and violence in August 12th, yes. And Jim Hingley seems to agree. I mean, that's a big leap so because a lot of the, the violence man, okay. that a lot of the violence that actually happened on August twelfth was. I, I don't think anyone's ever argued that it was one set of people that just went out and started attacking people. There were two sides there, right? On August twelfth, yes. August twelfth, there were multiple sides. I was there on August twelfth. I was I literally in front of I Live Seville. I know, you know that. that. Yeah. I saw it for three hours. Told my wife I was going to ACAC downtown to the gym and said went there for three hours. She said, you better come home with the best looking pectoral muscles or you're lying to me. And I said, well, I'm 149 pounds. She goes, you're lying to me. Where are you? I'm going to ask you a sincere question here. The Jim Hingley you know, Commonwealth Attorney of Valmore County. Do you think he's utilizing these charges, which you have called or insinuated are trumped up? You truly believe he's doing this for political gain? I never said that. Then why else would he be doing it, in your opinion? 
Because the Jim Hingley I know, especially at this point of his career, and I'm not calling Mr. Hingley old, I'm calling him seasoned. He's seasoned and experienced. At this point of his career, the man is not thinking about political capital, and he's running unopposed in the Commonwealth Attorney's race. I think Jim Hingley legitimately okay. and genuinely is going about running his office and his team with the purest, purest of intentions. Okay. And I think he thinks, I had a chance to get to know him, you have as well through this show, that this is justice. Um. But in today's world, we can agree to disagree with respectability, and we can have conversations like this where we can learn from each other and consider all angles, especially on a talk show that's geared for that kind of format. Yeah. All right. I would encourage you to consider some of the comments in the comment section of my personal Facebook page. I'll take a look. For some feedback from the community. Um, all right. Why don't we go to the next topic if we could? Um, I've got two more topics I want to cover. I found this incredibly intriguing. Do you guys remember when the four-minute mile was a big deal? Was Steve Prefontaine the first guy to break the four-minute mile? Was it Steve Prefontaine? Have you guys ever seen the movie about Steve Prefontaine? It's, it's amazing. Um, who was the first guy to break the four-minute mile? Does anyone know? Anyway, the four-minute mile used to be this, like, this iconic benchmark, this like threshold of like track and field and cross-country royalty. Like when I was a kid, if, if, if someone, like if people were flirting with four minutes, you were, you were. It was Roger, Roger Bannister. Roger Bannister was number one? 19, Where, 1954. Thank you. Where was Prefontaine? Steve Prefontaine broke it. Uh, he was. 1970, Eugene, Oregon. The first time he broke the four minute mile. Oregon twilight meet in 1970. Guys, the University of Virginia right now, UVA right now, has seven athletes that, current and active athletes, that have broken the four-minute threshold. I'm going to read this to you. Crozet's Jack Eliasson broke the four-minute mile barrier for the first time in his career on Sunday. The UVA student did it at Lanigan Field. Three minutes, 59 seconds. This kid did it in. Jack from Crozet is the seventh, seventh current UVA runner to run a mile in less than four minutes, joining Connor Murphy, Gary Martin, James Donahue, Nate Mountain, Wes Porter, and Yazin Sato. Seven dudes on UVA's track and field team, current and active dudes, have broken a four-minute mile. That's four laps around the track. Every lap, well, I, I won't say every lap. You would imagine most of the laps are under 60 seconds. Maybe you have one fast lap at like 57, 56, and one slow lap at like 61, 62. That's amazing. Yeah. I found that absolutely amazing. I also want to highlight one of our clients that's selling their business. If you can get the photos on screen, and then we'll get to your comments. We will read your comments live on air. The Racklet Man is for sale. The asking price is $120,000. Net income in 2021 was 150000 The owner of the Racklet Man, he has significant business on the books that, if executed correctly, should be in the neighborhood of $300,000 in gross this year. Asking price for his trailer, fully equipped, is $120K. Check out ilovesebo.com forward slash Racklet Man for sale or shoot me a DM. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, let's go to comments. Lonnie Murray. Lonnie, you made the show better today, dude. Um, thank you. Lonnie Murray says, as a runner, I'd love to know what they are doing from a training perspective to pull that off. Of course, maybe UVA doesn't want to share their trade secrets. Secrets. I'd, I'd love to know that as well, Lonnie. Maybe one of the aspects is, I just think the runners now, because of the advancements in technology and in training, I think they're just, they're just faster now. I think they're just faster. I was talking about this with a buddy. Who was I talking about this? Oh, I was talking about this with Joffrey on the squash courts. 
the ratings for squash players now um, are much higher than they were 20 years ago. So some folks think that there's rating inflation in squash, but others just think that the training and the innovation and the technology and the equipment has improved. You see this in golf. In golf, people are going, the players are going lower than ever to the point where golf courses, some of them are becoming, you know, not legitimate in today's long-hitting world. So they're either, the course is not legit or they have to make the rough significant, they have to make the hazard significant, they have to tweak the course to accommodate the fact that people are hitting the ball longer and further than they ever have. And they're hitting it longer and further than they ever have because golfers are training like athletes now and not as golfers. Well, before, uh, before Roger Bannister uh, beat the four-minute mile, we, everybody just assumed it was impossible. It's, assumed there was, it was impossible, There was right. no way that, that a human being could beat. Just, they just thought it couldn't be done until someone did it. And then I think people started breaking, breaking the four-minute mile left and right. 100%. Because Cause someone could do it. Yeah. And when someone does it first, it makes it tangible. It makes it tangible. Yeah. Um, all right, comments. We'll get to uh, as many as possible. The show was at it. We worked hard for you. I hope you enjoyed the show today. We worked hard for you today. Um, let's go to... My Facebook page first. Chad Wood thinks everyone should be held accountable in that rally. Kevin Yancey agrees, says that was not a spur of the moment thing. It was planned. All right. The majority of the comments are saying that they think that the people should have the hammer dropped against them. Okay? Which is fair. It's fair. fair. Neil Williamson says you're channeling your inner Voltaire. I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend it to the death. You're right to say it. Thank you. Yeah. For sure. Uh, John Snow, congratulations on the gains in the gym and, and on the gains as a loan officer. Um, I was singing your praises to Scott Morse the other day. Um, we love when you watch the program. Chad says, great show. Good work, guys. Chad, thank you. Andrew Cope. Coper says, wow. I wonder what he's saying wow to. Maybe it's the runners. Let's hope it's the runners. Um, trying, for, for people out there, trying to match comments to uh, uh, time, so time signatures and where that was when we go back can be uh, frustrating. Yeah, challenging. I mean, ideally, how I would do this would be maybe like a third person monitoring comments and responding to them because it's extremely challenging for me to do while hosting a show. No doubt. <coughs> Juan Sarmiento says the premeditated aspect is that they knew there would be violence that day. Kessler and his cronies should be held accountable as well. I agree. Definitely. They went in with the mindset of violence. Um, anything you want to add to close? I thought you did a good job today. I mean, I think we legitimately, respectfully, and this is more to me and less to you because you're always kind. Um, I'm trying to go about it where we can disagree in legitimate fashion. Yeah, I think this went. Uh, I think this went very well. Yeah, much far better than I than I thought it would. What you? How did you think it was going to go? Uh, well, I think you held yourself back admirably. Uh, I thought you were going to be a lot more uh, belligerent. And uh, I think we had a, a fairly uh, respectful discussion, and I appreciate that. Fair. Well said. All right. Friday, tomorrow, um, back at 1230. You see what we're trying to do here. If you have some ideas that you think would be good topics for the show, send them our way. We consider them. We'll talk about them. We go from there. Um, we love you guys. All we're trying to do here is talk about the community. Talk about the community. That's what this show's all about. For Judah Wickhauer, I'm Jerry Miller. It's the I Live Seville show on a Thursday. So long, friends. <laughs>